and Talk. Hello and welcome to Grow Up and Talk. I'm Alex and, and I am Aaron. Very good. We believe that eternities are changed when we grow up in our faith in Jesus. And one of the best ways that we can do this is by reading God's Word, reading the Bible, and talking about it. Uh, we want to encourage the community around us to read God's Word, engage in conversation, and ask the tough questions. Uh, not shy away from anything, and we are covering the book of Numbers today. Wow. We are beginning the book of Numbers, and we're covering the readings from March 28th to April 3rd, and that is Numbers 1 through 7. So, a little Sounds intro. Sounds like a Sesame Street intro. <laughs> <laughs> Today's number. Today's is number, number one. <laughs> 1 through, through seven. 7. Very good. All right, so let's give a little bit of an intro. Stop <laughs> interrupting me. A little bit of an intro on the book of Numbers, uh, which is always good to keep in mind when beginning a new book of the Bible. And remember that the Bible is a collection of books. Stop laughing, Aaron. This is serious business here. Uh, the Bible is a collection of books, and so we want to treat each book as its own. And the book of Numbers got its uh, common name from... Uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That's called the Septuagint, if you want to get real fancy. Um, and the name Numbers comes from all the different... Um, censuses. Censuses. And all the, yeah. Is that the plural form of the... Sensi? I don't yeah. know. But it, it, the beginning <laughs> the beginning of the book is just all about... It really is all about numbers. Yeah. All the people that Counting were being people. counted. Yeah. Very um, uh, engaging and mm -hmm. intriguing. I'm being a little bit sarcastic there. I can't get the Sesame Street count out of my head right now. Okay, like, well, one, two, three. <laughs> 600,003. One tribe of Israelites <laughs> on Mount Sinai. All right. All right. Okay. Anyway, the now Hebrew, it's out of my head. I know right. the Hebrew name for the Book of Numbers. The original na name of the book is Ba Midbar, which means in the wilderness, because that's really what this book is about. Is about Israel's uh, different wilderness journeys. Um, at first, they are at Mount Sinai, which is only where we'll be at today. Then they travel to a place called Paran, and then they travel to the plains of Moab which are right at the border of the promised land. So this is their about their journey all the way to uh, the promised land. Um, and then I think they get to the promised land somewhere mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. by yeah. the end of the book, yeah. next it's been episode, 40 years. Next episode, we'll start talking okay. about when the spies actually go to start looking at the promised land and things like that. So. All right, very good. Let's do an overview of Numbers chapter 1 through 7. All right. Aaron, well, <laughs> we all we almost covered it really um, just by talking about the censuses. It's really interesting at the very beginning of the book of Numbers, God tells Moses, "I need you to count all the people." And <clears throat> the way that they do the counting, they count the men who are of fighting age, basically, so the warriors among among the tribes. This book goes through in details, and remember there are 12 tribes of Israel, it goes through in details every tribe and, and how many uh, men they counted that were 20 years old and older, and it tells 
who was the uh, person in each tribe that was responsible for doing the count, uh, counting, who was the person that was responsible for kind of being the head of the clan, and so on and so forth. And it goes all the way through. So like you said, it gets really repetitive um, as we go through this. And you kind of wonder, maybe at times, and we'll get into a little bit deeper after the overview, uh-huh. uh, why do we go... Why, why do we need all this? Why do we need all these numbers and all of these um, people? Um, like I said, there are 12 tribes, but the tribe of Levi, the Levites, are exempted from this whole census and from being numbered among the warriors because they've got a specific um, duty, which is to care for the tabernacle or later the temple. Um, God then goes through and gives another kind of arrangement and a number, a very orderly thing, but again, kind of redundant, as he says how the clans are going to be organized when they camp. Like when they camp, here's where the tent of meeting is going to be, and this camp is going to, or a clan is going to camp here, and this tribe is going to camp here, and this tribe is going to, and it's always going to be the same everywhere you go. And when we get ready to take off, this tribe is going to get up first, and it's going to take off first, and then this tribe is going to follow them, and again, just a repetitive and redundant kind of a thing. Um, and then God, again, goes through talking about the Levites, what their purposes are, and very specific details um, in, in chapter 4 about the people who, uh, the different parts of the tribes who are responsible for taking care of the erection and the taking down of the tabernacle. And, um, and, so there are certain people who are in charge of the poles. There are certain people who are in charge of the curtains. There are certain people who are in charge of the vessels. There are certain people who are in charge of, you know, it's like everybody's got their own specific little duty. And God goes through and, and says, these are the people who are going to do this. Here's exactly how it's going to be done. And nobody else will, you know, you can't switch jobs with anybody, basically. Um, then kind of gets back into some of Leviticus uh, kind of stuff, like we talked about a few weeks ago where um, we talk about some of the unclean... Um, Social distancing. So, yes, yes, we're right... Uh, <laughs> I don't know when this is going to air, but right now we're right in the midst of the coronavirus stuff. And so <laughs> this is um, unclean people, um, according to, like, leprosy or if you've touched a dead body and things like that. Um, and then rounds out chapter 6 and 7, talking about, uh, so, again, something very interesting... A Nazarite vow. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means, who the Nazarites are, and um, and then the um, consecration and stuff for the offerings that happen in the tabernacle. And if I were to go any further than that, I would be into next week's lesson, so I'm not going to oh do goodness. that. Oh my goodness, we yeah. don't want to do that. But thank you for that overview. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the things that stood out to us. Um, first of all, I think what stands out to me are, are the amount of details in these uh, censuses, sensi, whatever <laughs> it is, um, all these numbers. Um, and, you know, what's, what's actually that I, I, I thought of this was um, it comes or their, their number, their count is over. 600,000 fighting men in their army. And this was a common thing that, you know, uh, people groups did back then uh, was count and assess how large their armies were. Right. Well, this is just interesting to me that they were still afraid to go into the promised land 
when they had over half mm-hmm. a million people yeah. to fight. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Can um, you imagine leading a group like that through the wilderness, like <laughs> through the desert, you know? Well, yeah. It, we it, it's tough to get everybody I don't know. I, I I don't know how many people were in other kingdoms, but I mean mm-hmm. it's just Yeah. I don't know. It, it's interesting, but there there's a lot of details and and counting all of these tribes and everything and that was just I don't know, kind of strange to me. Well, I want to start even right at the very beginning of this. Okay. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. Um, and he said, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers, houses, according to the number of names, yada, yada, yada. Um, my first question is, like, why? <laughs> you know, why, why did God command this? <clears throat> it wasn't God going... Hey Moses, I need to know how many people you have because God knows. Like, how about yeah. like if I had been Moses, I would be like, "You tell me, <laughs> you know, you tell me how many guys there are." Um, but God commands this, and um, I've, I've got some thoughts on why God would command Moses to, you know, to take this census and to count these men and to have it done in this way. But I was curious, did you have any? What what's your thought on why he would do this? Yeah, I'm not really sure. If I'm thinking off the top of my head, I I feel like it, it since God doesn't need to know the number, it has to do with it's somehow for the people. Mm-hmm. It's somehow for their benefit. Um perhaps to see how large and abundant their group people is Mm -hmm. how God has blessed them and carried that many people thus far um, through the wilderness. I don't know. No, I think that that's a, that's kind of the, where, where my head was going to that, that God would show Moses, look at, uh, you know that you don't have this kind of capability to lead this kind of people. And yet you brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea out here. And because I'm working through you and and, in a few chapters, we're going to see how Moses is going, what did I do to, to deserve these people, right? <laughs> but um, but here, here, God, I think, is showing him this is a huge undertaking. Yeah. And you know that you don't have the, the capability to do this. Maybe mm. just to kind of humble Moses a little bit. Yeah. Going, Whoa, all right. I need to just keep depending on you. So Yeah. That was Definitely. one of my first thoughts. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like uh, that the, well... I don't know if like is the right word, but it stood out to me that the Levites were not counted in the census since they were devoted to the tabernacle, Mm -hmm. which is also called the tent of meeting. And also the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, is always at the center of their encampment when they camp out and everyone arranges themselves according to the instruction they arrange themselves around the tent of meeting the tabernacle so god is at the center of their dwelling god is at the center of their moving and so Mm -hmm. god is the focus of everything that they're doing right when we read through the bible what we two things we always want to do is Especially as we're reading through the Old Testament, we want to say, you know, how do we see Jesus in this? Like, mm-hmm. how does this point forward to the promise that Jesus fulfills? The other thing we want to do is go, practically, how does this, like, mean anything to us today? And yeah. one of the things that I think practically this means for us, when you bring up the the 
a tabernacle and tent of meeting at the, at the center of the encampment. Um, we actually did see that um, in early on in our American history, like cities and, and towns would be developed. Like the first thing we build is a church. Okay. We're going to be a church. And now, now we've got the church. We know where we're going to live. Like here's yeah. the Creek. We got to have, you know, some water. So we're going to uh, camp around this. And, and if there was a meeting in town, the meeting happened at the church. And if it, you know, there was always these kind of things going on, we've largely lost that I think in our society. And it's been a kind of a curiosity to me that, you know, is there a way that we could redevelop that, that the church could maybe again become the center and, and, and not just the church building, but, but God, like you said, the, his presence being the center of our decision making and our processes okay. and our living. And so that's, that also, that stuck out to me as well, just as it did to you. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's good. Um, thinking about how God can be the center of the things that we do, the decisions that we make, which is definitely a theme prevalent in the book of numbers here. I also think that, you know, it kind of gives a picture of what it means to be missional okay, in a how, way. How's that? Um, the church, while communities are not centered around the church or the church building, we can, as a church, think about our local radius mm. of our community, um, which is kind of the, the image you get here with all right. the Israelites encamped around God's, you know, tabernacle. Um, I think perhaps we can think about, you know, how are we impacting how are we bringing the presence of God mm. to our local community, our very local community within a mile, two mile, whatever radius around our sure. church campus? Yeah, yeah, making God's presence evident. Yeah, that's that's great, great thought. Um, I thought it was interesting too when we look at the Levites being set aside for that specific purpose in in the tabernacle. That they also, even when the tabernacle would be deconstructed in order to move, um, and there were all these different tribe, you know, tribesmen that were uh, set aside to take care of moving specific parts, and um, you know, only these people are going to touch these parts, etc. Um, when it came to the the Ark of the Covenant and the stuff that only the priests are supposed to be a part of, or see, the priests do like the the pre preparing like here we're they're going to go back there and they're going to take down this curtain and they're going to cover it with this curtain and then with this piece of leather piece of leather and then this blue cloth and then they're going to put the poles in and then you can carry it <laughs> um and so there were certain aspects of this that nobody would ever see except for the priests who were involved in that sacrifice now later on again pointing forward to the new testament that curtain that separated the people, the common person, from the Ark of the Covenant and this holy of holy places in the tabernacle and later later in the temple, um, that curtain when Jesus died was torn in two from top to bottom, and we're told that this is to signify that the presence of God is not something that has to now go through some mediator, but that is available to all people because Jesus, being God in the flesh, has now brought 
God and humanity together. He's reconciled that separation that we have. So much of what we see here in the Old Testament with the sacrifices, with the symbolism in the uh, tabernacle and everything else is for a visual cue, I think, to show us, oh, this curtain means there's a separation. Later, Jesus says, no more separation. You know, and uh, these decorations, you know, have to do with God's abundance. And it's just, it's not something that God needed, but it's something that, that shares with us a, a viewpoint or a, um, a, a kind of a solid understanding or being able to see and visualize and touch what it is that, um, that God is trying to get across. Yeah. So I want to go on a bit of a rabbit trail at the oh, moment. I like rabbit. <laughs> a little bit of application as well. So, the Levites were set apart by God, were they considered holier than the other people? No. Yeah, no. Yes and no. Um, okay. I think I think that in just as with us, in our baptism, for instance, um, God takes a, a, and promises that through this strange sacrament washing ritual thing that he's going to instill his holy spirit into us and he's going to you've just preached a sermon on this uh, whole thing about us being clothed with a whole newness a new creation and so are we you know is someone who's baptized holier than someone who's not baptized yes and no we're still sinful people but god has given us his spirit to give us a new identity new and so through this consecration process with the priests um they are still just as sinful human being as anybody else in in need of that consecration that's why they go through the consecration because they are not holy nobody's holy but god again if you look at the consecration process, like part of it is uh, shave your entire body. Like, <laughs> does this make does this make this person somehow holier? No, but they would be a faster swimmer. They would. They would. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so next time that the waters are separated, the Levites go last in case and they, they start can to just close swim in. on yeah. through, baby. Oh yeah, when they get to the Jordan, just keep later. swimming. But seriously. None of these processes of consecration make these people any holier, again, and it doesn't somehow make them more uh, appealing to God, but it is for this process of God showing the people, hey, you're not holy. And so we're going to go through this like ridiculously intense ritual yeah. of showing that we're shedding everything that's on the outside and putting a new thing on. Right. I don't it, know if that answers your question. It but does. Yeah. God is the one that makes holy. Correct. All right. Yeah. I'm going to go further down the yeah. rabbit trail. Here <laughs> we right. go. I like how you can encompass my five-minute talk into like seven words. But that's, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, we complement each other well, don't we? <laughs> so I am curious if you think that we have that same dynamic with in the modern day with pastors. Do we sometimes, how do we intentionally or unintentionally communicate uh, the fact that pastors are sinners just like everyone else? And also maybe that pastors are set apart for a particular task. What are the things in our worship setting and mm. our <clears throat> worship life and our regular gatherings as a church that communicate different things about who pastors are. I'm I'm sort of making a a jump. No, I think it's pastors a good one. being like 
similar to the Levites. One. Yeah, I think it's a good one because the Levites were the priests in the temple, basically. And so I think it's not a far jump to make. But I will tell you that it is one of the things that frustrates me very frequently when somebody is struggling with a specific sin or a struggle in the world of some sort, and they go, oh, pastor, I, you, you're a pastor. You wouldn't understand. Whatever. I, this is where I, this, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not somehow, you know, in some crystal palace somewhere just oh, higher and holy and separated from everything. I struggle with the same things. <clears throat> and just because I've gone through this rite of ordination doesn't somehow now, you know, just like these guys, just because they had shaved their body and gone through these, you know, rituals with blood and everything else, it doesn't now separate them from what they had known before or what they had done. But it does, in the midst of this office that they now hold, it does give them a very tangible and visible way to go, God takes this super seriously and so should I. And so when I execute my office as pastor, and, and I take it super seriously because I understand that like, there's no earthly reason I should be a pastor. Absolutely not. Not because of anything, but God has called me into this, and for some reason, and the creator of the universe said, yep, you're going to be one of my people, and I'm going to take that seriously. And so, yeah, there's certain things that I'm going to really work hard at, you know, trying to do differently than yeah. maybe I did before and maybe that other people would normally do. And maybe, you know, some of the messages that I'm going to give are going to be pretty bold and forward about sin and brokenness and things like that. Doesn't make me a holier person? Not at all. But it does It does put me in a mindset that says, it's God behind this, so I need to take it seriously. Yeah, and that's something that I... You know, kind of, I don't know, it's a struggle sometimes to try to be mindful of communicating, hey, I'm a sinner just like anyone else. Mm -hmm. At the same time, hey, listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you right. know, like, and I think we, you know, we ha we wear robes on, on in our Sunday worship, um, which, you know, has its roots in, you know, the, the, what the Levites did where they had special clothed yeah. and, and that kind of thing. It indicates that we are set apart for a specific task. Mm -hmm. um, it indicates that God's holiness is covering us and that he, it's the Holy spirit who's speaking through us. It's not, um, you know, right, when we give right. forgiveness, it's not words from us. It's not our opinion. It's Jesus speaking his word directly to his people. Um, but we also do things like, you know, it, it's different in, in various churches and our, here at Messiah, we have the pastor is the one who reads the gospel reading. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder what that communicates mm -hmm. to different people sometimes. It's going to be different for everyone. It's going to be different In for some people. context, the pastor will actually have someone take this big old Bible that's sitting on the altar usually, mm -hmm. and that person will... Uh, along with the pastor, go into the center of the congregation and read the gospel reading in the midst, right. in the middle of the congregation, which signifies God's word coming down to the people. Right. Um, and yeah. so those are just some things that I kind of run through my mind. Yeah, and this. that's one of the things, you know, God gave some very specific instructions here in the book of Leviticus. Um, and... And then later on, through Jesus, he shows us that it's not about maintaining and keeping these specific set of instructions that make things holy. 
which then in turn causes us as human beings to go, well, hey, my way is better than your way. And we struggle with, you know, you should worship this way or that way. And it's, it's not good. Uh, that we that we get into these things saying it's got to be a certain way or a specific way that it's done. It's also not good that we as Christians, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this to all the Christians who are listening right now, um, it's not good that we should take our own personal preferences and say, if we don't do it this way, that I'm going to be distracted and I'm not going to listen and we shouldn't do it this way. And until you do it this way, I'm not going to you know, participate in, in full. No, what we need to be doing is say, this may not be the exact way that I want to see it done, but if this is what ministers to the people around here better, then I'm going to be a part of that, and I'm going to let God bring me into it. Because I guarantee you, the people uh, of Israel who are here camped out Ooh. were not going, oh, yeah, that's exactly the way I wanted to do this. Oh, I was yeah. hoping. I was hoping you would say to sacrifice an animal in that way for my sins. Yeah, great. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> and that's a good point, because um, what it means to be spiritually mature mm-hmm. is to yield to others, yeah. to yield to, um, to yield to the crying child or the 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 kid that can't sit still or you know making a lot of noise, to yield to that, mm-hmm. to not place it on that kid or whatever the distraction is, whether it be a child or a different way of worshiping or um, yeah, whatever. Um, but to take that, kind of take up our own cross in yeah. that way and focus more sure within yeah. ourselves, you know, take it upon ourselves to concentrate more being the mature Christian yielding to the other. That, that crying child is a blessing from God. Amen. And, and, and we can, and Satan can use that blessing from God yeah. to distract us. Right. Um, you know, the, the person who, uh, has a cough, you know, (laughs) that can be a distraction, especially right now. Um, and yet that person who is able to breathe and cough is a blessing from God. And we, and and Satan can use that to distract us. And he does today. There was a bird that was fluttering around the window while you were preaching. Really? Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) I'm not paying attention to that bird. That's actually the second time that's happened. I was like, in my life, see, like it's the Holy spirit trying to get into the building. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. No, but I was like, I'm not going to pay it. It's like one of those things I quickly realized, like it's real easy to be distracted and not pay attention. So, yeah, distraction is definitely a way that Satan uh, tries to get us away from, uh, get our focus away from God. Shout out to my mom, who is the loudest cougher I know, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, yes. Love you, mom. Um, <laughs> something that really stood out to me was the fact that God is um, still choosing Aaron and his family and his clan Mm-hmm. to be the priest, mm. to be the workers that are mediating God's word and forgiveness and atonement to the people, even though Aaron <laughs> was the leader at the time of the golden calf incident when yeah. Moses was on the mountain getting all these instructions Aaron was just fine standing by and saying, hey, you know, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's get all yeah. our gold and make a golden calf and worship that. Oh, no, 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 no. No, he didn't make a golden calf. They just threw it in the fire and a golden calf jumped out. Don't you remember? It was just this golden calf appeared. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, <clears throat> I think that shows uh, the character of God, the heart of God, 
and talks and relates to a lot of what we were talking about that God uses broken people, sinful people that aren't any holier than others. Absolutely. It's just God doing his work that makes them holy or special because That's a great he's the one out. living in them. So yeah, anyway. Cool. Well, I want to move on to chapter five, if you're okay with that, because sure. uh, we've got this little section here on unclean people, and it's it's a really short section, but it seems harsh. Is it the one with the adultery test? No, 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 that comes sooner. <laughs> that comes sooner in just a little bit. Um, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp anyone who is leprous or has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile the camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp. So this, again, this seems hard. You're taking people who are leprous or have a discharge. So you're taking sick people, people who are hurting, people who are already probably people are looking at and castigating going, ooh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> You're taking people who are defiled by contact with a dead body. What does that mean? That people who are mourning the loss of a loved one and you're putting them outside and saying, you may not be a part of this. What in the world? Why, God? Why would you take these people, these hurting people, and separate them and put them outside of the camp in this way? Um, as I read that, that, my first thought was, it seems wrong. And then I started thinking, you know, if all of the rest of this stuff, the the way that things were consecrated, the specific ways in which um, uh, all of the temple stuff was put together, if all of that was not for the purpose of God, but for the purpose of man to be looking at, what kind of thing does this show when we put these people outside the camp? And it, is it possibly showing that, you know, sickness and, and death is evidence of sin? And that uncleanness is evidence of sin, and it cannot be in God's presence. And so almost like an object lesson, God is saying, look, I'm putting this stuff outside the camp. It cannot be in with me. And you need to understand that uncleanness uh, spiritually, uh, uncleanness in your soul cannot be in with me. Whereas for us, you know, here in, in time and space, that seems like a really ridiculous and mean thing to do. Um, it's 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 a very effective lesson saying that God is not a God of the unclean, but the clean. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really good point to bring up. I think in our society today, um, we are very individualistic. Mm -hmm. And so, and also with that comes the idea of having privacy. No. Oh, yeah. Things are very private mm -hmm. in our lives today. We like to keep things to ourselves, and I think that... Are you trying to say that you have leprosy? <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but uh, let's right. keep that between us and all of the 45 listeners of this podcast. <laughs> uh, anyways, share this podcast uh, yeah. with others if yeah. you like the, what we're um, doing here. Um, but what I was getting at is that... Or if you don't like it and you want to torture your friends. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to interrupt me again. Yeah, well, that's While I'm what trying I do. to think All right. out loud. I think we get good at covering our sin, keeping our sin private. We think of sin as something just between me and God. It's never really put out there in the public. But here in this 
way of living that God has set up for the Israelites that we see in Exodus, Leviticus, now Numbers. Mm-hmm. It sin is dealt with in a very public way. Right. Sin is made. It, it, people are made aware of their sin in a very obvious and public way mm-hmm. to get rid of or to be covered with God's holiness. He demands that you do all of these different cleansing rituals or sacrifices right. or whatever it is. And like you said, it's a huge object lesson. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, we look at it as something extreme but I think some of that has to do with the fact that we live in a very privatized, individualistic culture, mm-hmm. and God is not a private God. Yeah, yeah. And that's a great segue into the next section, where it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people. When a man or woman commits any of the sins the people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed. Yeah. So confession, we often think of confession as being like a New Testament invention. Confession yeah. all along is, again, like you say, not a private thing. It's something we, I messed up. I'm going to own up to this. I'm going to take responsibility for what I've done. Yeah, yeah and mm-hmm. the restitution that is uh, commanded after that. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much we're really restoring and restituting. Is that a <laughs> word? How much we're really doing that today? Yeah, I think and, it's restoring. Yeah, <laughs> restoring. <laughs> but it gets into <laughs> what it looks like to uh, live like Jesus. Um, God calls us to um, not only confess our sin, not only to repent of our sin and turn to Jesus, but also to amend yeah. our sinful life. <clears throat> Jesus said, go and sin no more. And part of that is, yes, in a way, in our earthly relationship, making up for what we did. Mm-hmm. I maybe come home and acknowledge, ah, oh, man, you know, this whole week I haven't spent that much time with my wife and my my kid, and and you know what? I'm going to make it up to you by just designating two full days to you or whatever right, it is. Right. I think we do this all the time, but I wonder how much we think of that as actually being a restorative mm-hmm. um, act. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's round out. I'll let you. Uh, yeah, since you brought it up, I'll let you want to talk about the test oh, for adultery. No. Uh, okay. What does it mean that a woman's thigh falls away? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, great! I really don't. I don't so, uh, <clears throat> um, <laughs> I have my notes in front of me. I'm not going to look at all the details of the chapter. I'm going to remember it as best as I can. But basically, if a woman uh, commits adultery, has an affair with another person, then she needs to admit her sin. And actually what I found interesting was (laughs) what I found interesting was that the man uh, or the husband of that wife who has committed adultery against him, he is commanded if he has any feelings of jealousy Mm -hmm. to give an offering for that sin of, of jealousy, which was very interesting, which is not, uh, a popular viewpoint, right. at least in our world today. Right. I'm sure it wasn't popular back then either, but God is 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 very much um, communicating that there's contribution on all sides here. Yeah. And then uh, there's the very strange and crazy, like, 
ritual ritual yeah. that she has to go through, and uh, she would be made very aware of her sin and put under a curse if she really did commit adultery mm-hmm. and have an affair with another guy. But if she didn't, um, then she would be yeah. free of the fruitful curse. and multiply. But then yeah. there was something about things, her gut swelling up or yeah, her thighs yeah. Oh, yeah. getting bigger. Or yeah. <clears throat> we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to end, healthy yeah. at all. Hey, we're not going to, that's why we're not making a recipe book here. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to just go ahead and say, thanks be to God that Jesus yeah. has um, accomplished and made things good. So, <clears throat> um, this uh, section rounds out with the Nazarite vow and then the offerings that were made uh, for consecration. The Nazarite vow, these were guys who set themselves apart specifically for God's purposes in a very, um, again, visible and tangible way. These guys could never let a razor touch their head. They could never let get their hair cut. So these could be long-haired fellows, and they, <clears throat> they couldn't ever not only drink wine or vinegar, but they couldn't eat grapes that were either fresh or dried. They couldn't eat the seeds or the skins or anything having to do with the grapes. And and they were supposed to be purified inwardly and outwardly for for um, God's purposes. And if they were, uh, and they were to never <clears throat> come into contact with a dead body either. So like, uh, dad dies, you don't go to the funeral. This is like basically wow. what I'm saying. Like, you know, you stay away from that stuff. You are dedicated to God and to not the things of this world. Um, if, though, <laughs> I love how detailed God is with this. If someone happens to drop dead right next to you, like, and you're not <laughs> expecting it, and you happen to touch this guy as he's dying or whatever, then there is a there is a process for uh, re-consecrating yourself. But then you have to shave your head and all that kind of stuff, and you got to start over from square one. A very interesting thing, especially when later, which we'll see um, in the next uh, section next week, um, when we look at how the priests start to consecrate themselves, it's in a very different way. Yeah. Um, but I, that that section rounds out with something, some words that we're often very familiar with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We call that the benediction or the, the good speaking. You know, we yeah. often use that at the end of our services. Um, and here it is uh, given to Aaron. This is what God says you're supposed to speak over the people. And lo and behold, we still speak it over the people today. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll take a short break. We are almost done, but we'll be back right after this. Awesome. We are back after a short little break. We're going to talk about the things in this section of Scripture that give us hope. I'll begin, I said it earlier, the idea that Aaron was used as high priest, even or despite the golden calf incident. And also God speaks to Moses. And Moses is kind of this mediator to the people. They, uh, When they are in trouble, when God's consuming the outward parts of the camp with fire. I can't remember where that's at. But when that's happening, the people cry out to Moses. They don't necessarily cry out to God directly. But it is an awesome thing that God 
gave them Moses as their mediator, which points to Jesus as our mediator. And because of Jesus, we do cry out to God directly. We do cry out to him boldly. Yeah, yeah, and that goes to the whole, uh, all this setup and symbolism in the setup of the temple or the tabernacle and uh, the duties of the priests and everything else that Jesus then later fulfills. And again, that tearing of the curtain when he when he dies on the cross, and eliminating that separation. The the thought to me that all of this stuff, these laws, these um, these ornate processes, all of that is not to please God. It is to give us a a vision of a small glimpse of who He is and how much He loves us and what what He does and does not want. Uh, or, or can and cannot have in his presence and, and how uh, through Jesus he fulfills that in us. So that's where my hope comes, being able to look at how Jesus kind of superimposes over all this. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk about, as we end, the application that this has for our lives today. We always kind of get into that anyway uh, at the beginning or in the middle mm-hmm. of our episode as we talk. But is there anything else that kind of sticks out to you that, we can kind of glean from this as uh, important to our lives today. Mm-hmm. I think you hit on it earlier when you said um, that this is not about any one person or group of people being more holy by nature than anyone else, but that any holiness, any goodness, any righteousness comes from God and what he puts on to his people. Yeah. Um, that that every every bit of our goodness and righteousness comes from him and if there's any quote-unquote goodness or righteousness that comes from us later on in the bible we'll hear those things are just like filthy rags they're not even Mm. useful in the kingdom of god yeah also something that comes to my mind is we've probably heard the phrase the devil is in the details Um, but maybe i'm misunderstanding the phrase right now. probably so yeah maybe (laughs) but God is in the details, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. here there is a lot of details in this book that we can often think as boring and mundane, repetitive, but I think it shows that God cares about every single aspect of our lives. He's not this God that just created the world and then stepped back. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a God that is upholding his creation. He continues to do that, and he cares about every single aspect nothing that we do is apart from his involvement yeah so cool yep all right you got it you got a uh, random question for me oh i've always got a random question Uh, i've been debating as to which random question i would choose um i don't think i've done this one before but if you could work any occupation have i done this one before I've done that one. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, I've got I've got to find a different one then. I thought I thought I had not done that one yet. Um, all right. Here's the next random question for you. Um, if you had to eat one main course every ah. day for the rest of your life, ah. what would it be? Ooh. I'm just going to go with the first thing that comes to mind, and it would be (laughs) 
the sirloin from Texas Roadhouse. (laughs) (laughs) All right. With the bread rolls, of course, and the honey butter, uh, or honey cinnamon butter and uh, broccoli on the side. There you go. There you go. Emily, what what would yours be? Oh, okay. Emily said she would choose some sort of meat and veggies, um, which is not at all specific, but we'll we'll let you get no, away with it. So not really. All yeah. right, Aaron, you got one. Um, it it's gonna have to be. I mean, you chose a great one with this with the steak. If I could yeah. have steak every day for the rest of my life, I think I'd be all right. Yeah, um, you'd probably die sooner. But anyways, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to do the experiment. No. <laughs> <laughs> all That's right. all we got. That is all we got. Hey, um, if you have any questions or things that you want us to address during this podcast, email those to growupandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. There's nothing in our inbox. We need some questions, people. So email <laughs> us and let us know what you want us to talk about or uh, get back to you on. That's all for today. One sacrifice cow. <laughs> Two sacrifice cow. All right. Um, Three signing sacrifice off. Cow.